and take your copy of God's Word and open it with me again to the book of Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. And in a moment we'll begin there in verse 29. The word glory is a word that we hear a lot. It is a word that is used a lot. And when people talk about glory, they oftentimes mean many different things. For some people, when they think of glory, they think of glory in terms of victory on a battlefield. They think of glory in terms of a sport. How many times this summer did we hear someone talk about Olympic glory? Some people think of glory in terms of power or influence. Some people think of glory in terms of fame, being famous. One actress named Amy Schumer was recently asked what it's like being famous. This is what she said. It turns out it's not fun. I'm just now learning that my dreams have been a sham and that it's actually not great and it just only comes with pain. Well, that doesn't sound like glory, does it? The world talks a lot about glory, but it turns out what the world calls glory is not very glorious. Well, the Bible, on the other hand, when it speaks of glory, specifically when it talks about God's glory, it's talking about something completely different. God's glory refers to the revealing of His character, who God is. His power, His greatness, His holiness, His love, His wisdom, His attributes. God's glory is about Him revealing all of these things to us. And as we're going to see this morning, God reveals His glory to us in numerous ways. Last week we were in Exodus chapter 33. And at the end of that chapter, you recall Moses prayed this great prayer. He said, God Show me your glory. That's my prayer this morning. I hope that that is your prayer this morning. Show me your glory. Moses had seen God's glory many times, but he knew that there was more, and he wanted to see more and experience more. And so we come to chapter 34, where we are this morning, and God is answering that prayer that Moses prayed at the end of chapter 33. It is one of the most interesting stories in all of the Word of God. But how does God show us His glory? Now, there are three lessons from this text that we're going to learn in particular. And first of all, I want you to notice God's glory is reflected in His people. God's glory is reflected in his people. Now let's read this entire story from the account of Exodus starting in verse in Exodus 34 verse 29. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses's hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, 
Behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with the Lord. The Bible says that Moses came down from the mountain where he had been with the Lord. And verse 29 says that he carried the two tablets of the testimony. That means the Ten Commandments. This is the second time for him to do so because you recall what happened the first time. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and he came down from the mountain and what were the people doing? They were worshiping a golden calf and Moses, understandably so, in his anger, threw those tablets down and he broke them. So God replaced those tablets and here he is carrying down the Ten Commandments, carrying down the law so that he can teach it to the people below. Now Moses had been with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. Can't imagine what a joyful thing it must have been to be able to spend that much time in God's presence. But when he came down, the Bible says something interesting happened. The Bible says that he was shining. Not figuratively, literally. Someone said Moses was shining because he'd been exposed to divine radiation. Well, that's one way to put it. The people saw this. They were afraid. Verse 30 emphasizes the fact that even Aaron was afraid. Moses' little brother, think about that. His own little brother was terrified to come near him. And so Moses summoned the people and he shared with them what God had told him on top of that mountain, all the laws that God had given them. And then the Bible says he put on a veil. And this wasn't a one-time thing. Verse 34 says that whenever Moses went in before the Lord, it would cause his face to shine. So when he would come out, he would put on a veil. He didn't do this because he needed to. He didn't do this for his sake. He did this for the sake of the people so that they would not fear him. And we don't know how long this shine lasted, but after a while it would begin to fade but whenever Moses went back into the Lord, the Bible says that it returned. Now, perhaps the most amazing part about all of this is that Moses initially didn't even know that it was happening. Everybody else knew it, but he didn't know it. And you might be thinking, now how in the world could Moses' skin be shining, literally emanating light, and him not notice that something was different. I think I would know. 
But let me suggest how it is Moses didn't know that this was happening. He didn't notice because he had just spent 40 days and 40 nights in God's presence. And when you've been in God's presence, everything else fades into insignificance. A man or woman who has been, truly been, in the presence of God is not comparing himself or herself to others. They're not spending time worrying about what others think or how they appear to those around them. When you are truly in the presence of God, His presence is all that matters. No wonder Moses came down and he was the only person who did not notice that something was changed about him. Because when you've been in the presence of God, other people will certainly know. Those who are closest to you, those who know you best, they will see that something is different because it is absolutely impossible for you to be in the presence of God and remain the same. If you want to know whether or not someone's really been in the presence of God, listen, don't watch them while they worship. See what happens afterwards. It's not, as someone said, how high their feet jump, but how straight they walk after they hit the ground. Ask yourself this, are they different? You see, there's a principle here. We become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. Everyone worships something. And if a man or woman worships things or persons from this world, then they're going to be more worldly. But if you worship God, you will become more like Him. And you don't have to literally radiate light in order to reflect God's glory. Listen to what David said in Psalm 34, verse 5. He said, Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. It sounds to me like perhaps David had this story in mind when he wrote that verse. There are many ways in which God reflects his glory, but let me tell you, God's favorite way of reflecting his glory is always through people, through sinners who have been redeemed, people like you and people like me. Well, Moses had just been on that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and he could not be the same. His, his very appearance is reflecting the glory of God. And let me tell you, there's not anything that we can do that'll make God more glorious than he already is, but we can reflect God's glory just like a spider web. A spider can weave a beautiful, glorious web, and you may and may not see it. But if you get up in the morning, you may notice that the dew that clings to that web, that all of those droplets cause what was unseen to become seen. And all of a sudden, you're able to see the glory of that web that was already there. Our lives are to be like that dew. We are to be like those droplets. We are to make God's glory visible to the world around us. And as we experience Him, as we worship Him, as we spend time in His presence, we, like Moses, become like Him, and our lives become a living reflection of God's glory. God's glory is reflected 
and his people. But let me share something else with you. God's glory is displayed by the gospel. It is displayed by the gospel. Now, as I said, this is a very interesting story. One of the principles when it comes to how you interpret the Bible is that you always allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. And it turns out when we come to this story, the Apostle Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, he had a lot to say about it. In fact, you're going to notice that Paul's commentary on this story is actually longer than the story itself. Now, we find this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. So listen to what Paul said about Moses and the shining of his face as he came down from the mountain. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory." For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Paul refers to this story about Moses shining in Exodus 34 And I want you to notice, he makes a very big deal about the fact that Moses was carrying down the Ten Commandments when this happened. Paul argues this was not an accident. That God was using this part of the story to make a distinction between the law and the gospel. In fact... Paul makes a very bold claim in these verses that we just read. He claims that the child of God who's been born again by grace through faith alone, that that person has experienced, he said, more glory and greater glory than the glory of Moses when he came down from that mountain shining like a Christmas tree. Now, some folks may struggle with this. I don't know about you, I've never left my prayer closet, my skin literally glowing as a result. Has that happened to you? I haven't had that happen to me yet. Never preached a sermon that was so glorious. You guys had to put on sunglasses to be able to bear it. That's never happened somebody might ask well how could Paul say that our glory in verses 8 and 11 our glory is more glorious than Moses's glory is he shining in Exodus chapter 34 how can he say that how are we to understand this well Paul explains it by referring to two ministries. 
He refers to the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation. That's his way of referring to the law. Then there's what he called the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of righteousness. That's his way of referring to the gospel. So you have the law and you have the gospel. Paul said that the law, the ministry of death, was indeed glorious. Now, how can these both be true? How can the law be glorious and be the ministry of death and condemnation at the same time? Well, this law that God gave Moses in the form of the Ten Commandments, oh yes, it was indeed glorious for several reasons. Some of these we've seen in recent weeks. It was glorious. The law was glorious because it reveals God's character. It's glorious because it shows us who God is and what God is like. It is glorious because we are blessed if we keep it. We are blessed when we follow it. It is glorious because it shows us our sin and it shows us our need for a Savior so that we would cry out to God for mercy and be saved. And so, yes, for these reasons, Paul said, the law of God is and was glorious. It's glorious, but it's also the ministry of death because the law doesn't have the ability to give us life. He said it's glorious, but it's the ministry of condemnation because it can condemn us. It cannot save us. No one, and I mean no one, has ever been saved by keeping the law. Not you, not me, not any of us. I saw a commercial on TV not too long ago. Maybe you've seen it as well. It was a commercial for a home security system. But in this commercial, a bank robbery is taking place, and everybody is on their hands and knees with their hands on top of their head, including the security guard. And a woman looks at him and says, Hey, why don't you do something? And the security guard looks at her and says, Ma'am, I'm not a security guard. I'm a security monitor. It's not my job to save you. It's my job to inform you that a robbery is happening. And by the way, a robbery is happening. Well, likewise, the law informs us. It merely informs us that a crime has taken place. A crime against God. And guess what? We are the transgressors. And as glorious as that is, as important as that is, that is all that the law can do. The law cannot save us. The law cannot give us life. The law cannot even give us the power to do what it requires. The gospel, on the other hand, can do all of the above. The gospel, this good news announcement that even though we were sinners, we were lawbreakers, God sent his son Jesus to be our law keeper. He lived a perfect life in our place, and then he died on the cross in our place, and he took the punishment for our sin so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life 
God not only saves us, He then gives us His Spirit so that we actually have the ability to do what the law requires. Listen to what Paul said down in verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. He's not talking about the liberty to do whatever we want. He's talking about the liberty to do what we ought. He's talking about how when we believe the gospel, the Spirit of God comes in us to live in us, to live through us, and He gives us the power to live the life we could never live before. He gives us the power to do what is right and put others above ourselves. He gives us the power to serve and to bless. He gives us the power to love the unlovable, to forgive the unforgivable. Paul said back in verse 10 that the law was made glorious, but it has no glory compared to the glory that excels. It's like the stars at night. Man, it's glorious every now and then to get away from the city lights. If you haven't done it lately, I highly recommend it. Get away from the city lights and look up at the stars and see how beautiful and brilliant they are. See the glory of the stars that God has created. But what happens? Eventually one star comes along and the sun rises. And when it does, the glory of that one star causes the glory of all of those other stars to fade away. This is what Paul is saying. Yes, God's law is glorious. But he says there's something else that is even more glorious. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, it is a glorious thing that God would write his law on tablets of stone. It's even more glorious that he would write his law on our hearts. It's a glorious thing that the law would show us our sin. It's even more glorious that the gospel shows us how to be forgiven of sin. It's glorious to say, this is what God says. This is what the law demands. It's even more glorious that Jesus came and fulfilled the demands of the law when he died for you and when he died for me it's glorious to know what we ought to do. But it's more glorious to have the Spirit of God in you, empowering you to actually do it. Oh yes, the law is glorious, but Paul says the gospel is much more glorious. Here he said there's this greater glory, and yet there are some who do not see it. Look at verse 12. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Once again, Paul points to a detail in this story from Exodus chapter 34, and he makes a point. 
Because Moses was shining, he wore a veil. It was a literal barrier that kept the people from seeing the glory of God that was all over him. Now, what does Paul do? He picks up on that and says in verse 14 that their minds, or some translations will say their eyes, were blinded. Then in verse 16, talking about those who have the law but have not believed the gospel, he says there's a veil on their hearts. He's talking about the veil of unbelief. That veil that Moses wore, Paul said, it is a picture, it is a metaphor for unbelief. And this is not just an intellectual veil. This is a spiritual veil. This is a moral veil. This is the person who refuses to believe the gospel because, frankly, they don't want a divine boss telling them what to do. They don't want God telling them that they fall short. They don't want to be told that their deeds are evil. And Paul said that this veil of unbelief covers not just the minds, it also covers the hearts, and the veil of unbelief will keep someone from being able to see the glory of God in their lives. I told you last week, there's this prayer that Moses prayed that God loves to answer. When Moses prayed, show me your glory. Well, let me tell you, there's another prayer. God just loves to answer. When a man or a woman with a sincere heart would go to God and pray and say, God, remove the veil. Take that veil away from my eyes or from my heart so that I can see you, so that I can know you. I believe that when God hears that prayer, He will once again say yes every single time. You know, maybe there's some of you that need to pray that prayer this morning. Maybe there's some who, who would admit and say, I don't experience the, the joy of being in God's presence or the joy of worship or the joy of beholding Him and who He is. And maybe you need to say this morning, God, if there's anything that keeps me from seeing Your glory, remove the veil. If there is some veil of doubt, if there's some veil of sin, whatever it is, God, remove the veil from my life, and I promise you, God will do it. God's glory is reflected in His people. God's glory is displayed by the gospel. But there's one more thing I want you to notice. God's glory progressively changes us. Still in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 16. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Notice that. When one turns to the Lord. In other words, when a man or woman repents. When they turn away from sin and self and they turn to Christ as Savior and Lord, something happens. Paul said, when they turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. That veil that would keep them from seeing God's glory, it is removed, and all of a sudden, they can see the glory of God around them in a way they never could before. No doubt many of you remember exactly what that was like at some point in your life. I know that I can. But we also know that that's just 
the beginning. That initial removing of the veil, oh, that's just the beginning. Look at verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Paul said, we all, referring to believers, with unveiled faces, what are we beholding? The glory of the Lord. Once again, Paul goes back to this story in Exodus 34, and he's making a distinction between Moses' glory and the glory that we experience in Christ. There's something else about our glory that we need to understand is different from Moses' glory. In Exodus, whenever Moses met with the Lord, he took off the veil, and once again, uh, he began to shine. But what happened when he left the mountain? What happened when he left the tabernacle? What happened when he went back to where the people were? Well, he put on that veil so they would not be afraid, but something else happened. His glory, his shine began to fade. Likewise, the more time we spend with him and listen to him, the more we meditate on him and praise him, guess what? The more we behold that glory, the more our lives reflect his glory, and we are made even more glorious. But notice that Paul said that we go from glory to glory. Unlike Moses, whose glory faded, he said we go from glory to glory. That means our lives become increasingly Glorious, we go from one level of glory to the next. So we can put it this way Moses' glory was on the outside and it faded. Our glory, the glory that we have in Christ, it is on the inside and it grows. That is the difference. And this doesn't happen overnight. This happens over the course of our lives if, like Moses, we are regularly going back to that place of meeting with God, our tabernacle of meeting, if we are regularly beholding His glory. But this is God's plan for my life, and this is God's plan for your life, to take us from glory to glory, to make us progressively, continually more glorious. Now let's be really honest. On a very practical level, we don't always see it working out that way, do we? Not everybody gets better with age. Some people, as they age, instead of becoming more glorious, they just get cantankerous. They get mean. They weren't always like that. But as life goes by, the years pass, they just become harder. They're like that proverbial old man that stands on his front porch and yells at the kids, Get off my lawn! You know what I'm talking about. You might see that person 
He or she may claim to follow Christ. He or she may be able to quote John 3.16 or sing all the songs that we sing at church. But let me tell you something. If that is the result, that is not the work of the Spirit of God. That is not the end result of someone who for years has been meeting with the Lord, being exposed to the presence of God, going from glory to glory, becoming more like Him. That is not the end result. But then there are others. Once again, you know who I'm talking about. Some of you already have in mind a name, a face, the man or woman who, like Moses, they keep going back to that meeting place, being alone with God. They've been doing it for years and years and years, and they just keep going from glory to glory. They become more radiant. Their attitude keeps changing and always for the better. They become more passionate. They become more gentle. They become more patient, more giving, more generous, more understanding, more merciful. The longer they walk with Jesus, the more they behold Him, and the more like Him they become, the more glorious they are. And theirs is an increasing glory. Unlike Moses, whose glory faded, this is an unfading glory. By the way, this is why it is so important for younger believers to be connected to the whole body of Christ. For children and youth and college students. And if you're in your 30s or 20s, you need that constant exposure to believers who are higher up on the glory scale than you are. You need that in your life. That's why it's so damaging when in our churches, children only relate to other children and youth only relate to other youth and college students only relate to other college students. We need to learn from those who have gone from glory to glory to glory over the course of their lives. But notice Paul also said, we behold this glory as in a mirror. In ancient times, mirrors were not made of glass. They were made of polished metal. And so if you looked at one of their mirrors, it wasn't as crystal clear as that mirror that you have in your bedroom or that mirror you have in your bathroom at home. What's Paul's point when he says we, we look at God's glory, we behold his glory as in a mirror? Well, his point is we do see some of the glory of God in Christ, but it's like looking in that faded mirror. It doesn't compare to the glory that is to come. It doesn't compare to that glory we will see and experience when one day in our glorified bodies our faith becomes sight. And let me just close by getting you to think about this. When Moses, what he experienced on Mount Sinai was just a foretaste of what we can look forward to one day in heaven. Moses saw some of God's glory because God said to him my back will pass by you because no man can see me and live he saw some of God's glory because he had to hide in the cleft of the rock he saw partial glory 
and his skin literally shined as a result. But the day will come when we will not behold partial glory. We'll be able to behold God in all of his glory. And we won't have to cover our faces. We won't have to hide inside of a rock. We'll be able to take it all in. And God will share that glory with us. And it will never fade. Do you join me as we pray? Oh God, you are altogether glorious. There is no one and nothing whose glory can compare to you. And so we thank you for who you are. And we thank you that as we come to you, as we spend time in your presence, as we worship you and experience you, we also go from glory to glory. To think of Moses and the glory that he experienced and that that doesn't even compare to the glory that we have now in Christ and the glory that we will have one day with you in heaven. God, we can't even imagine it. There's a reason why your word says, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man which you've prepared for those who love you. And oh God, how we look forward to that. It makes it worth it when we're struggling. It makes it worth it when life gets hard to know that such glory is waiting for us and to know that the trials of this life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is waiting for us. So help us, God, to be faithful at all times, to keep going back to that place of meeting, to worship you, to be regularly in your presence so that we would be changed, that we would go from glory to glory. We want that to be the course of our lives. That man or that woman who in Christ over the years just keeps getting more and more glorious. Let that be us, Lord. Let that be us. God, we read in your word this morning that when one turns to the Lord... The veil is taken away. Maybe there's someone here today, God, in this room or watching online, who needs to turn to the Lord. They need to repent. They need to turn away from their sin, turn away from self, and say, Christ, I'm turning to you, and I will follow you. If so, God, I pray that this will be that day, this will be that moment, that they turn to you, and that veil of unbelief is taken away. And God, if there's any kind of veil in any of our lives, anything that would hinder us, keep us from seeing your glory, God, remove the veil. Remove the veil. That's our prayer this morning. And Lord, we will give you all of the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the Bible says, the one who turns to the Lord... The one who turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. If you need to do that, if this morning you need to turn to him in faith and say, Jesus, I put my faith, my trust in you. I will follow you as Lord of my life. He's ready and willing to hear you, to forgive you, to save you. 
And so I would encourage you, don't wait another moment. I'll be standing here at the front after the service is over. You come to me and say, I am turning to the Lord today. That's me. I want to turn my life over to Christ. I want to follow Him. And so we'll pray and we'll celebrate together. If I can just pray with you or for you, again, you can come and, and we'll do that. This is your invitation. We invite you to come. For those of you that are watching online, we want you as well to let us know. Please reach out to us. You can send us a text message. Uh, we have this number, 786-600-2829. And so if you send a text message to that number or you can leave a, a comment, uh, if you're, or however you're watching the stream, uh, there it is. Uh, if you send a text message to that number on the screen, uh, you'll get a link at the end of the service. You click on that link, and that's our connection card you're going to uh, be led to. Just fill that out and then let us know what your decision is for Christ. Let us know if we can pray for you. Let us know if you just have questions, if you want to know more, set up a meeting, uh, and talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Well, God's been good. It's so good to be in the presence of the Lord. And as I said, you cannot be in God's presence and be the same. So if you've really been in God's presence this morning, as we have sung and as we've praised the Lord, as we've been in the Word of God, you will be different. Let me just share with this uh, you one more thing before we watch our announcements and we're going to go. Don't forget we have the offering boxes here at the front. Those of you that are giving in person, uh, don't forget as you're leaving, maybe you're going out through the east uh, exit, but if so, make sure you make your way up to the front and drop those off. Off those connection cards. You can, they're, they're paper cards underneath the pews. You can put those in the boxes as well after the service is over. Uh, fill one of those out if you'd like to do it that way. Uh, but if you're giving online, hopeforhomestead.com and click where it says give. Hopeforhomestead.com and then click give and it's real easy. That's uh, a great way to do that for those of you uh, who might be out of town this morning watching us. Uh, don't forget, keep being faithful and uh, supporting God's work.